This is part three in our series in Ephesians, and my title, which I've thought very carefully about, is God joined with us in a love stronger than death. And it talks about joined with us, which is a key part of what we're going to be saying today, a a love stronger than death is going to be also a key element to how we're going to see this unfold today. And my goal today is I want you to fall in love with the way this story is told, which if you trust Jesus, is your story. And I want to confess, this is one of my favorite passages in the whole of Scripture. And just um, bathing in it is a joy for me. I was coming back on the plane yesterday, um, it wasn't a hardship for me to be preparing this sermon. It was just just a joy to, to read it and to allow it to permeate me into it, just to allow me to feel the meaning and the power of these words. Quick update, the story so far. Um, we began the first session with the epic poem that opens Ephesians and looked at this one long sentence from verse 3 through to verse 14, exquisitely constructed jewel of a sentence, and it's poetic in its structure, and it would originally have been read aloud as a public event, and we just enjoyed the the, the beauty of that poem, but also the power of the message that's there. And then the second part, we looked at Paul's prayer for us. So this is the rest of chapter one, how Paul takes the three core parts of the epic poem that starts the book and turns them into a prayer. And the three parts are past, present, and future. And um, we're going to come back to some details of that, those scriptures at the end of chapter one at the right point in this message today. And I'm going to, today, I'm going to, to break it down like this. We're going to start by looking at the first three verses, which I've titled Dead and Hopelessly Trapped. Then we're going to look at verses four through seven, and I've titled that A Total Rescue by Allah, A Love Beyond Measure. And then the last part, which is verses eight to ten, Reflecting and Responding. So, To start off, I just want to bathe in these scriptures with you. And so I'm going to bring them up and we're going to have a look at what these mean for us. So let me just bring, and this matches exactly what you have in front of you in your, in your sheets. So I'm going to start by, by, um, just reading through the first three verses. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the system of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, in which we also all once lived in the passions of our flesh, according to the choices of the flesh and our reasoning, and we were by nature children under wrath like everyone else." Now, I want to say that I've done my own translation here. The reason I've done that is because a lot of the poetry gets obscured in our translations that are usually going for something that's easy to read. And I want to pick out the, 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 the way that it's structured in the Greek because that actually allows us to connect everything together. 
And I'm going to draw your attention to some things in this um, right now. That right at the beginning, you see the expression, dead in your trespasses and sins, in orange there. And um, uh, underneath it, it says, in which you once walked. And walk is a, a metaphor for our life. You know, you walk the way you walk in your, li- in your behavior. So that's uh, how it starts. Then in verse 5, it says, even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. And so this is picking up on the beginning, and this is the key change point in this message. And then, um, if we go down to the end here, we see verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's the good works, the, the, the works. Now instead of trespasses, we've got good works. And then we've got the second reference to walking. So this is the opposite. So what we've done then in the, we, at the end, in verse 10, we've reversed verse 1. Verse 1, you're living in trespasses. You're dead in trespasses, rather. And this is what you're walking in. And now in verse 10, you're, you're living in good works. And this is what you're walking in. So this is like brackets, the whole thing, and these are markers, and right in the middle is the point of reversal. So um, that's, the, that's like the overall picture. So uh, that's how the whole thing fits together. And just looking at an overview of, of how these go, verses 1 to 3 is all bad. It's all the bad stuff. Verse 4 is the turning point. I put that in a box. But God, who is rich in mercy... And then verses 5 through to 7 is a complete reversal of the bad. Everything that's bad there is undone. And we're going to see, I've, I've marked A, B, and C in there as the three problems. And we're going to see that those are, in reverse order, undone. And uh, then, so verses 5 through 7 are the reversal. And that's all one sentence in the Greek. All one sentence. It's, you can do it in Greek. You can't really do it in English in a comprehensible way. And then the, the, there's one more sentence, which is the last three verses there. And um, if we go back to the beginning then, uh, verses 1 through 3, and I'm now going to, to just uh, zoom in a bit more closely on uh, these, these first verses. Uh, let's actually, that's not what I wanted. Let's, let's just go back. I'm giving the game away there. Sorry, I don't want you to see that yet. Um, Let's see. There we go. These are the ones I want. Okay. Right. So if you see, if you look at the way this is written now at the beginning, you can see that Paul has got three according to's there. Verse 2, it says, you once were according to the system of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, and then in verse 3, according to the choices of the flesh. And those are broken by into two groups, by the witches. And the first is in which you once walked, and the second is in which we also once lived. And um, the, it look, if you look at it, the first two there are about our external environment, and the last, the third one is about how we are inside. And so he's broken it into those two groups. Um, And there's a beautiful logic about how this all fits together. Um, So when we look at verse 2, our behavior is partly due, it's due to three things, but it's partly due then to 
the system of this world, the, the, the surrounding environment that we're living in, our culture, our environment. And it's also to be blamed on the temptations from Satan and the demonic world. Those, those two external things. And those are outside things. And then in verse 3, he talks about our own natures, which he calls the flesh. And it's interesting how it expands that into emotions. Uh, he calls here the passions of the flesh. Um, the choices of the flesh and our reasoning. That's quite interesting, quite comprehensive. And in fact, the, word, the last word he's chosen there to use, reasoning, li- the Greek word literally means your head is kind of going one way or the other. Is that true or is that true? Is that, it's kind of weighing things up. And so quite comprehensive in terms of our inner world being to blame. Now, this is, I think, uh, 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 very useful because people have debated for a hundred years, the nature-nurture debate. Are we people like what they are because of their environment or because of their genetics? You know, is it who you are or is it your environment? And that nature-nurture debate has been around and people disagree. Paul says both and. Both of them are true. Partly it's your environment. Partly the people you're with, your culture, the systems you're in are going to cause you to go wrong. Um, and he splits that environment into two, the, the uh, physical world and then the, the uh, uh, t- temptations of Satan. And um, so that's, um, that's partly what it is. Uh, but partly, it's not entirely that. There is something about us which is flawed, which is broken, and which will make wrong choices, even if you put somebody in a perfect environment with no, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong at all. There'll be choices they'll make because of this internal flaw, which he calls the flesh. And I think this is very helpful because um, Christians have erred on both sides of saying, you know, um, you can't blame your environment at all. It's just about you. And that's not true. Often people's behaviors do, are influenced by their environment, and partly that is to blame for things that they do, but not entirely. And so uh, he's, he's being very comprehensive in a way I think that we can resonate with. We all understand that this, these are the things that drive behavior, and these are the problems that we have. We have these external problems and these internal problems. And this is going to be important as we go through the um, the uh, uh, argument in how he's how we're saved from this. Um, another cool thing about this is that it people have summarised this: the the world, the, fle- the flesh, and the devil as being temptation. It actually matches Jesus' temptations in the wilderness because he was tempted by um, he was tempted by Satan. Um, to worship Satan, that was the last one. Uh, he was tempted by the, um, the, the, uh, the, the pride of life, the, uh, to, to get everybody's adulation um, by, by throwing himself off the temple roof and the angels coming and, and uh, society respecting him because of that. And he was also tempted by the flesh to turn these loaves into bread because you're hungry. And so that's interesting to see that, that, that parallel there. So... Um, that's, that then is the, my summary of what's gone wrong, the bad stuff, the, the, the problems that he is identifying in us. And so uh, let's move on now to um, 
let me get this right because I want to keep that passage up. Um, let's, um, let's move on to a total rescue by a love beyond measure. And I'd like to now to look then at the next of block of verses, and we're going to see what happens in those. So verse 4, let's just bring this down. There we are. <clears throat> verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which we has loved us. The, the pink, I've, I've highlighted all the ones that talk about love, love, God's mercy, God's favor towards us. And you'll see there's, there's not much in the first half, but then suddenly we get this flood of it coming in. And uh, verse 4 is the one that changes everything. And the way he's worded that is love heaped on love. It's like piled up the, in the original Greek there. It's like it's, he could hardly have, have done more. His, uh, he uses a, an expression, his great love, he didn't say which he had for us, but by which he loved us. And it's kind of doubling it. And it's his rich mercy. And this is designed to be like a massive hit in the middle here to the bad stuff that's going to turn everything around. So verse 4 is the big change. And then verse 5 begins this complete reversal of the opening statements. So verse 5 says, even though we were dead in trespasses. Now in the opening one he says you and he, he says we and they kind of changed throughout. People have speculated as whether there's some significance in that. I don't think there is. I think he's just just um, using both of them so that the people he's writing to feel that he is um, dealing with them as well as something that's in general. So I don't think there's something special about why, whether it's using we or using you. Um, so, but anyway, um, let's look at that then. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Made us alive together with Christ. Now, this is a very similar expression in Colossians and in Romans 6. Uh, the idea of being joined together with Christ when he is raised from the dead, that we're united in his death, that so his punishment is actually on our, um, cleanses our sin. But then in his resurrection, he's raised to a new body. We are raised with him at that point, although we don't have our new body yet. There's a spiritual newness that happens there. And this is a key idea. And it's interesting that um, the way the gospel is presented in this passage is very, very different to the kind of simple idea that you often get, like, you know, you're going to hell, so you need to pray this prayer and then you'll be saved. That kind of... And this isn't how Paul's doing it at all. No, it's a much bigger picture than that, a much, a much more powerful, grander picture than this. And it's like, you have these problems, but God's love is so passionate, he's actually going to join himself to you in your problems... And, and as he come, rises out of that, you are going to come out of that. And being joined to Jesus, being united with him, is the core of the gospel message, I believe. It's the core in the New Testament when it explains what has happened to us. Jesus doesn't save us at a distance and say, here, catch, here's salvation. No, he actually joins himself to us. And so um, here he says, we're made alive together with Christ. 
So I put C next to that because um, actually in being made alive, we get a new nature, which is not flesh. It's something new, which has got the power to make different choices. And this is born of the spirit. Jesus said you've got to be born of the spirit uh, in order to to see the kingdom of heaven. And this is a new birth of the spirit which gets which puts this new resurrection life into us. So the 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 problem of the flesh is not dealt with by patching it up. It's dealt with by giving a complete new uh, life that's within us that is radically different. And it's by being joined with Christ in his resurrection that we gain this. And then he says you'll notice he says by grace you've been saved. The other the other ones don't have that tagged after them. And, and that's actually a little footnote marker because he's going to expand on that later. It's a little placeholder. Just remember this because I'm going to talk about this much more in a minute. <clears throat> so, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together. So, this is, this is I've paralleled this then with B. And uh, why is that paralleled with B? Well, um, he describes Satan as the ruler of the power of the air. And he's using a kind of a metaphor that, that God is the highest, and we're here, and Satan's kind of in between in his power. He doesn't have anything like the power of God, but he's, he's a, a powerful spiritual being. And uh, it, there was an expression that, was, that would be used that they would understand, the, the ruler of the power of the air. And, but what Paul is saying, no, he's saying we are raised above that. We are raised above that power. And um, this, is, uh, uh, this is being rescued and lifted up. Um, I've actually gone to just show how these work together. Um, A is enmeshed in the system of this world. B is influenced by evil demonic powers. And then C is a nature that's broken by sin. And then this C is replaced with raised with Christ, a new creation. And then B is lifted with Christ above all powers. So this idea then of being lifted up above all powers that um, gives us this new position. And then we come to see uh, down here in verse, sorry, A, in verse 6, and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this is an, uh, quite an extraordinary uh, promise to us. Um, in fact, he's saying that this is our, where we are now, that we are now seated with Christ, in, not in our bodies, but spiritually. So when we pray, we're not praying, we're actually praying from that position of being in God's presence with Christ in prayer. This is where we are. Um, but what's, what's really uh, wonderful about this, if I go back to my, um, my uh, summary here, we are now in a different plane of existence with Christ, with Christ in the heavenly planes. Now, to understand this, I need to explain something to you. <coughs> um, back earlier in, in verse 2, it says, according to the system of this world, and your translation might say according to the ways of this world or something like that, the original Greek word is a little difficult to translate because it's almost like a picture. It's, it's, the Greek word is, is aeons and it means ages. It means 
but not ages in terms of time. It means like a space, a, uh, a plane of existence. And that plane of existence is the world that we're in now. And it's like the, the, the mode that we're living in. And what it's saying here, literally, in verse C, and he uses exactly the same word in, 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 sorry, in 6, six uh, part A there. He uses the exactly word, when he says the heavenly places, it's literally the heavenly, um, the, the heavenly realms, modes of existence, these, the heavenly uh, um, phase, which is a different kind of life to the earthly one. So the problem of our environment then is dealt with by being translated into a new environment. So you might say, but you know, I'm still living here. I don't notice that I'm not in the world anymore. I don't feel like I'm kind of with Christ and that's my environment. So that's true. And that's what faith is all about. And that's what understanding Paul's reasoning is all about because we have to actually say to ourselves, Okay, my body may be here, but actually the essential me is with Christ right now. And my, this is where I am. And I have the authority to pray to the Father in Christ's name for all of these things. I am with him in glory. I am right now with Christ. And that is the basis for my decisions. Now, this is a little abstract. I, I can, I can uh, uh, agree with that. Um, We can't physically see it with our eyes. But what I'm trying to do is to be faithful to what Paul says. We need to understand what he says, and then we can say, well, how do we put this into practice? Very clearly, he's making a parallel between the world that we're living in now, the place, literally literally the aeon that we're in now, and living instead with Christ, joined to him in the heavenly places. And this is how this problem of our environment is dealt with. So that's, how, that's the, the, the parallel that he's making. Now, ultimately, of course, this will be dealt with completely because this world will be gone and we will be physically with our bodies with Christ. And we can all, we can all agree with that very easily. But I'm going to argue that there's a way, even now, we can consider ourselves as part of that and we can change our decision-making because of that, because of a view of, of our status that if we see ourselves as being a, a, of a status that is, that is just meshed on with what's happening now and we can't make any choices ourselves, we're going to make different choices to if, we, if our status is with Christ, in his place, in the heavenly places. So that is the, the, the way that his rescue happens. And I'm just going to go on and uh, take that a little further in the... Um, Summary here. He made us alive with Christ, expanded as the new creation in verse 10, um, marked with grace, so he can expand on it later. We're raised together with Christ, seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. So I'm going to expand on these things in just one minute, as I've, as I've said there. Before we move on to the next part, I want to give you a, a picture here that I feel very powerfully for me um, enables me to get hold of what's happened here. The key idea, as I've been saying, is that we've been joined to Jesus. 
Together with him we've been joined. And it's interesting, Paul has invented new words there in those verses in front of you. Where it says, raised together with him, he's actually invented a new word in the Greek. And and seated with him, those are new words he's put together that double the power he's, he, uh, of this connection. So this connection is very, very strong that he's made for us. So um, I'd, what I'd like to do now is to give you an illustration which for me is very powerful, to imagine this connection. And I'm gonna, you may have heard, heard, me, heard me tell this story before, but if you have, then forgive me. I'm going to tell it again. So um, back... Um, there, uh, back many years ago, when I was when I was growing up, there was uh, the the worst sea disaster that had happened in in history at that point, called the Tor- Torrey Canyon oil supertanker disaster. It was March 1967, and a a massive oil tanker was heading towards the south coast of Britain, and there was a steering error, and it hit rocks, and it began to break up. And here's some aerial photographs of it. And to start with, it looked like it was splitting in the middle. And then the split got worse and it began to to seriously split into two pieces. And uh, then the two pieces were very definitely there. And within seconds, this thing was beginning to go down. No time to get the lifeboats, nothing. But thankfully, helicopter rescue. Rescue helicopters rapidly arrived and lowered ropes down and the crew were winched up to safety on from the helicopter up in uh, from the deck into the helicopter and uh, no lives were lost uh, short as they were winching them off the ship was going down you can imagine the drama of being this like stormy weather they're being winched off and the ship begins to, to submerge, and then finally it went down. And it's at, I've actually managed to find a bit of video footage of this, so there's no sound to it. This is um, video from inside the helicopter as the helicopter is going to rescue the ship as it's sinking. So it's very blurred. It's, not a, it's a, just from the footage from the shot by the pilot, and this is inside the cockpit of the helicopter, and there's the ship that's there, that they're circling over, that's just... Uh, and there's another, re- another boat that's coming to see if they can do anything. And here are people trying to launch a lifeboat, and the rescue helicopter's getting closer. And then finally, it gets... The, the helicopter gets overhead, and the pilot lowers a rope down, and the end of the rope is... Uh, a belt clasp. He lowers it down, and there it is. It's just coming overhead, and you can see a man is clipped into that, and you can see there. Sorry, it's so blurred, but this is what we've got. And can you see now he's being lifted up? Can you see him at the bottom there? He's being lifted up, so I'm just going to stop it there. So um, let me tell you, let me try and get you to imagine something. Imagine you're on that deck, and that deck represents all the bad stuff of the first, three, uh, first uh, three verses in that passage. And this rope comes down, and on the end of it is this belt, belt clasp. And you grab hold of it, and you clip it around you. The moment it clips around you, that moment your destiny 
is no longer connected with the boat. It's connected with the helicopter. The moment there's that click, if the helicopter goes up uh, 100 meters, you'll go up as well. If the ship goes down, you'll be hanging there. But it won't be with the ship. Your destiny has changed. You are now joined to the helicopter. And for me, this is a very powerful image because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. And his, our destiny is connected with him now, not with this world, because we are joined to him. And that, and that single event is what changes everything. That is what changes things around. So I want you to hold that in your mind as we look at these scriptures here. So we were dead and hopelessly trapped. He's given us a total rescue. And I want us now to reflect and respond on exactly what that means to us. So what I want to do now is to take us down to these last verses. Uh, So... Verse 7 says, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so this is, if you like, summarizes all of that stuff that's been done. Um, It's explosion of love and grace. Now, um, this would be a good point just to see how this passage relates to what we did last time in in our Ephesians series at the end of chapter 1. And uh, it's quite interesting. This is now is back in chapter 1. And I'm going to just read a few verses ending chapter 1. The main thing is uh, he wants us to get is this power towards us according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead, seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every position that exists, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and that he put all things in subjection under his feet. And if you remember last time I talked, those are stepped in, in the way I've, I've listed them there, they, each one steps in further, because one builds on the other, and Jesus is going higher in each one. Starts off by being raised from the dead, he ends up with every single thing being uh, in subjection. And so this is the backdrop to the passage today. This is the same story, but we are joined to him. And so the problems drop away when we are joined to him in these things. Okay, so that's, um, that's where I wanted to, to link us in to the, back, to the end of the passage uh, that we did, um, end of chapter one that we did last time. So I'm going now to try and bring this together for us. And I, this is my, my goal at the beginning. I, I said, I want you to fall in love with the way this story is told, which if you trust Jesus, is your story. And um, this, is, this is what I want for you. And I want you to feel the power of the... The words that are in this story. And these, these verses at the end are the climax. It picks up the, the note that was made in verse 5. Do you remember in verse 5 I said there's, um, um, there was a little note about grace? Here, by grace you've been saved. He's going to pick up that on that later. So this is where he picks it up. It's like um, he says, I'm going to keep a hang on that because I'm going to explain it more. And verse 8, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, 
And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, this takes a lot of pressure off us. If you think of it positively, all we have to do is to receive the gift. It's not that we have to work <clears throat> to work hard enough to get these gifts. It's of grace. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then verse 8 is your signpost. Um, I, I prefer to use the word trust rather than the word faith, because in our culture, faith has been devalued to mean almost nothing. You know, you can be a somebody of faith and it doesn't mean anything. But if this is about trusting in Jesus, putting your confidence in him, and I would say, trust Jesus with your life and you'll receive all of this stuff today as a free gift. This is what it's about. It's by grace you've been saved and it's through trusting in Jesus. And then verse 10 is a beautiful conclusion to the whole passage. Uh, the problem in verse 1 was that we were walking in trespasses and sins and worthless things. And now it says we are his workmanship created, that's the new creation in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. A beautiful conclusion. And so... Uh, I would say then, and I'm going to just come back to my, there we go. I want you to fall in love with the way that this story is told. And I want you to feel the power of these three ways in which God has rescued you. And so um, God's love for you that surpasses everything. And I gave them the letters A, B, and C. So I just want you for a moment to 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 allow this truth just to soak into you. I'm lovingly lifted out of the negative power of the society around me and joined to Jesus. Can you take that in? Then just rest in how that feels. Still joined to him, I'm lifted above the power of anything that could hurt me. I'm lifted out of the society, but I'm lifted higher above the power of anything that could hurt me. God has lovingly recreated me with a new nature connected to Jesus that pleases him. And this is the whole point of the end. Good works that will please him and uh, feel his pleasure over you. Just feel God's pleasure that he has in you. He's made you this new person because of his love and he's going to give you work to do that bring him joy. And uh, I just um, want you to take a moment to feel what that's like. It's, it, the rest of this book is about how we live. At least the last three chapters are. Verse chapters four, four through six. And it's really important about what motivates us to follow the instructions in chapters four through six. Very important. It's radically different to, to be motivated because we want to achieve our salvation or to be motivated to bring joy to the one who loves us. I want to suggest our motivation for doing good works is to bring joy to this God who loves us so much. That's a much better motivation, isn't it, than earning our own, earning our own salvation. This is why... This part is there at the end. So this is my last slide then. And this is about your new work. Your new work. 
I want you to feel the comfort and security wrapped around you with staggering power and safety. I want you to feel the warmth of his love for you and your love for him in return. And I want you to feel the energy in you to live out this new work he's given you to do, motivated to bring joy to the one who loves you. So can you do that? Can you feel that security of being joined to Jesus? Can you feel that that, that love wrapped around you with just a staggering power? And his love is just so... Uh, so full, so heaped up for you. And can you feel some like desire? Oh, I would just love to please him. I would just love to do things to please him. And that's where it should come from. That place in you is where God wants your good works to come from, a place of joy. And so I'm just going to, to, to bring this to God in prayer that this will be an experience for all of us as we close. Father, thank you for this extraordinary salvation you've given us. Lord, I can, I, can hardly, I can hardly speak for joy at what you've done and overwhelming thankfulness, God, that you have given your son so that we could have such a complete salvation. Thank you, God, that you've saved me in this way. I pray, God, that you'll help me to connect with this, just to bathe in this truth and allow it to soak right in me and motivate me. Lord, give me an understanding, as Paul has prayed. Give me an understanding that is so deep it transforms me. Amen.